This podcast is intended for use by financial professionals or in conjunction with the advice of a financial professional. It is intended to be educational in nature and should not be construed as individual investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation to buy, sell, or hold any security or to adopt any investment strategy. It does not constitute legal or tax advice or fiduciary advice pursuant to ERISA rules. Welcome to episode 28 of the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Joining me again for this podcast is Ryan Sullivan, Managing Director of Strategic Markets here at Hartford Funds. Welcome back, Ryan. Thanks, John. Great to be here. You know, during our last podcast, episode 27, we were discussing a concept called Communicating to Connect, and an acronym that we used called REAL for Effective Communications. We talked about the R being for Rational Communications, and Ryan, we were talking about the E for Emotional Communications. And I I would kind of like you, I think when we left last left off, there was another point to emotional connection that we wanted to cover. And, and I wanted to ask you to start with that on today's podcast. So again, taking you back, Ryan, to the world of emotional communications, um, what should we be thinking about here before we move on to our other couple of letters? Great, John, thanks for asking. And to just kind of put a bow on that emotional connection, that you think about the interactions we have with folks and the different ways we can get a sense of what their emotions are. So certainly we can show it in body language. We can indicate that with our voice and our tone and then the actual words that we use. And when those things don't match up, that's where there are challenges. And so just to share some research and some something for advisors to think about. And I'll put it simply relative to a kid's game. So if you all remember the game, red light, green light, John, I'm sure you played that when you were young. Oh yeah. So that red light, green light, when you, you're playing with your friends, you say green light, they run towards you. That when you say red light, they stop where they are. Well, according to research from Paul Watzlewick, who is a professor at Stanford, wrote over 20 books on communication that were translated into over 80 languages. I'll sum up his research by saying that we're playing that red light, green light game all the time when we're around other people. So let me tell you what I mean by that. So green light, anytime that we show to folks that we're open to communicating, red light, any indication we give to people that we're not. And so what I get after we do these communication workshops, advisors coming up and saying, Ryan, here's my challenge that I am involved with a particular charitable organization. We'll be sitting uh, in a meeting. I'll share with folks, hey, if you ever have a question about anything financial, please come talk to me. I say to my kids, hey, you know what? If there's ever something going on at school that you want to discuss, please let me know. I'm here for you. I say to my assistant, you know what? I have an open door. If there's ever kind of the potential for a problem, let's nip it in the bud. Come talk to me anytime. I'm here for you. And the advisors say the challenge is the people aren't talking to them. They aren't raising their issues. And so I encourage them to think about this red light, green light. 
So it has to do with communication. So John, imagine you're getting on an elevator. Someone's already on the elevator. If you speak to them, say hi, make eye contact, are you communicating with them? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Right. Well, how about if you get into the elevator and then don't look at them? Maybe you take out your phone, stare at that. Are you communicating with them? No. I'd suggest, as would this research, that in a way that you are, you're communicating that you don't want to communicate. You're (laughs) saying, "I, I don't plan to talk to you. And folks can do the same with you. So for advisors where they're trying to be more intentional about communicating with others, having that potential to connect, the more they can show that green light, the better. So I'll give you some concrete examples. You know you have a client walking into the office. Perhaps your assistant is at a desk in the front room. Human nature Client starts walking in the door. The assistant is just going to finish up a quick email and hit send before addressing that client. John, in your mind, would that be a red light or a green light? Be a red light. Red light, certainly. Or your child comes home from school, excited about the day. You're just finishing up something on your phone. You're texting something. You're going to hit send. Red light or green light? Definitely a red light. Great. And so imagine their emotion. So the potential to connect with them at that point that we shut that down often, it's not we're being intentional about it. We just are finishing a thought, finishing an email, finishing that phone call. So if we're going to connect emotionally, the more we can show that green light, giving folks our attention, giving thought to that. Imagine you and your assistant having the code words, just the words, green light. You know a client's going to be coming in the next couple of minutes. You're both going to be focused just to make sure that you are open. As soon as they walk in, they feel welcomed. You create that emotional connection. That is an easy step, but one that I think folks need to give some thought to, need to be a bit more uh, intentional about. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks, Ryan. So thinking about red light, green light, emotional connection, let's move on to our next letter, which is A. So R-E, so rational, emotional. What does the A stand for? Authentic. Another important one, and I'll give three tips for folks to consider relative to developing authentic connections. So for one, keeping what they say and how they say it fresh. So advisors have a unique challenge in having to repeat similar information over and over to clients and prospects without having it sound stale. John, I know you present a lot. I'm sure you have a similar challenge. How to have it be that folks, when they hear you speak, feel like they're hearing that for the first time. Absolutely. Well, for advisors who are challenged with that, Uh, that I'll give a tip here from Craig Valentine. He's a former world champion of public speaking. He has what he calls the fabric softener technique, kind of a fun way to put it, but that in how you share explanations to clients, stories with them, that if you can come up with a new transition, a new introduction, a new joke, just one small thing that's different, That's going to freshen it up for you 
and for them. It's like putting that one fabric softener sheet in the dryer with the clothes. It freshens everything up. Why is that important? So we did one of these communication workshops. At the end, a very successful advisor said that he's got a long-term client, been with him for years, and this advisor admitted that he dreaded when that client came into his office. He said, you know what? He's been coming in for years. He always says the same things. And this advisor realized after this workshop, he said, you know what? That client probably thinks the same thing about me. So if we want to be authentic with clients, we have to have them feel like we're sharing information with them that isn't cookie cutter. It isn't rehashed. Quick tip, if we can keep that fresh, that certainly is going to make an impact. Yeah, that makes sense. Keeping it fresh. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, Ryan, because a lot of times I have a catalog of stories in my head that I can use for illustrative purposes, which is exactly what you're talking about here, right? The concepts may be the same, but the stories you use may be varied. Exactly right. And if folks can just give some thought, again, be intentional about that that's going to come across. You're going to feel a bit more refreshed in how you explain that. Certainly, it's going to sound new and different maybe to that client who's heard some of this over and over. Again, that helps with that feeling of authenticity. You're creating information, stories just for them versus just, again, serving up that cookie cutter information. Another tip to consider is using humor. Now, I know a lot of advisors who are fearful in using humor, that they don't feel they're funny, not necessarily good joke tellers. Well, I'd encourage folks to check out a study done at Harvard Business School where they looked at people who use humor in their interactions and how they're perceived. So that what this study showed is certainly if you tell a joke, an appropriate joke, well, certainly that increases your status relative to the listener that they feel like you're confident about what you're discussing, confident to be able to share that joke. But even if you tell a joke, again, an appropriate one that doesn't go over, it doesn't get big laughs, your status, your perception from that client still is increased, that you had the confidence To share that, it shows that you're a bit more comfortable with yourself and trying to make them feel comfortable. The only way to go wrong with humor in this study is telling inappropriate jokes. So just to make that point, it's very easy to me, that reminder that when in doubt, leave it out. If people think they're going to share a joke that might be questionable, better safe not to include that. But why is that important? I don't want to over inundate folks with the acronyms, but I'd seen one for the word humor. I think it pertains very well to advisors. That acronym is human under my outer rigidity. So humor is human under my outer rigidity. Again, if clients can somehow uh, or sometimes be intimidated by that financial advisor, feel like that advisor has that position of power, perhaps as, again, a little fearful, sharing humor is a great way to break that barrier. 
And John, I know that's something you use a lot in your presentations. I do. And, you know, Ryan, it's not necessarily just joke telling. I mean, we all see things in everyday life that strike us as funny. And again, if you're not sure about it, you know, bounce it off of a friend or a trusted colleague who would say, yeah, I, if I were you, I wouldn't use that or because they may be able to see a perspective that you don't. But I think that, Ryan, in using humor, it not only humanizes you, it lowers the barrier between the client and the advisor. It, it, it makes the advisor seem more like me if I'm the client. And I think being able to communicate with someone on that level, and I'll just say, Ryan, based on what we talked about in the last episode, sometimes advisors are hesitant to do this because it flies in the face of that R, right? It flies in the face of the rational, the credibility, so on and so forth. But I think if we lead with a real rational basis for credibility and why to do business with me, and then at some point in the conversation, I can inject some humor. I mean, I think you begin to cover many of the bases that many clients are looking for. And so, again, that these humorous, it, it may just not be jokes. It may be situations. It may be things where you laugh at yourself about something. I think all of those lend themselves to authenticity. I'd agree with that. And to be clear that in these four aspects of making connections, it's not an either or. Really, advisors should be trying to check each of the four boxes with their clients. So to your point, it's not that they have to uh, do one at the expense of another. There's really opportunity to expand in all four uh, portions. And I think what you said about maybe making fun of themselves sets up the last and maybe the most important tip relative to authenticity that I talk to advisors who seem very intent on appearing perfect to their clients. They're very uh, concerned about seeming like they make mistakes and the challenge with that. So John, if I'm your advisor and I'm never willing to talk about the human errors that I make, what are you less likely to share with me? I'm not going to share with you the errors that I make. Right? Makes perfect sense. If I get the sense that my advisor doesn't make mistakes, they're not uh, as human as I am, I'm less likely to share those. And obviously advisors, when they think through that, realize that's not ideal. So what I'd encourage here is advisors to think about sharing any of the four F's. So letter F, none of these are swears. (laughs) The first one is sharing your firsts. The first time you did something, the next, your faults. And I'll give you a kind of a method for doing this. So your firsts, your faults. Third F is your fears. And the last one is your failures. So there's a process, certainly advisors don't want to come across to their clients as incompetent. If it is that you messed up a trade yesterday, we're all human. I'm not sure you need to run and tell that client that unless it's their trade, you need to uh, admit that mistake. But in thinking how to share those four Fs, so kind of a process, three steps to it. One, share what that let's say failure was. So early in my career, I made a mistake and that mistake was X. Explain that. The second part of that is to say, here's what I learned from that mistake. 
And then the third part, most important, here's how I use that knowledge, what I've gained from that in how I interact with my clients. So again, the three steps to that, it, share what that mistake was, what that fear was, how you've overcome that, what you learned from it, that's part two. And then number three, sharing with those clients how you use that to benefit them going forward. Give you one concrete example. So many advisors realize that their clients have money with another advisor. So you manage a portion of the assets, but not all. Every advisor would like to ask and arguably should ask what those other assets are. So here's an example you could share. I'm sure many folks have firsthand experience with this. So John, you're my client. Now, early on in my career that I'd ask folks what other assets they'd have, sometimes they wouldn't feel comfortable sharing that with me. And I didn't strongly encourage them to do that. Well, here's the problem that happened with that, the mistake that came up. So certainly uh, it could happen where, John, you didn't tell me about other stocks that you owned. It turned out that you were over-concentrated in one particular stock between what you had with the other advisor and myself. When that stock went down, it caused problems. So that was the mistake. So what did I learn from that? that it's important to stress to that client why we need to know about that, even if we don't manage those assets. And here's how I use this going forward, that I make sure my clients know that important uh, that importance, that they feel comfortable sharing that with me, and that they know how it benefits them going forward. So to me, a great way to be able to share, create those authentic connections and talking through those firsts, faults, fears, and failures. Well, that's terrific, Ryan. It gives us a, I mean, you think all of us have just a wealth of stories as we think about those four Fs and then being able to compose the story once we identify the situation using those three steps that you gave. I think that's a great roadmap. So let's move on to the L in real, Ryan. So after the authenticity, we get to the L, the last letter in the word real, and what does the L stand for? Loyal. Creating loyal connections, which as you would guess for advisors, they'd hope for. Many at some point perhaps expect that their clients will be loyal to them, but it's really a two-way street. And there's certainly ways for opportunities or I'd say uh, perhaps some challenges as well for advisors relative to creating those loyal connections. So one way to increase that if we can agree that building trust is really the underpinning of loyalty. And I've had advisors say, you know what, that's tough to do sometimes, especially with prospects. So you think about that interaction typically with the prospect, John, you and I meet, you're my prospect. I say to you, if there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. And the challenge is, unless, John, you let me know that, that's it. Very tough for me to move that forward for us to build any trust. Now, I know a lot of the advisors on the call have learned the very good habit of reaching out to those prospects or those clients. So, John, I know you used to be a wrestler back in college. So perhaps I, I 
saw an article about college wrestling I thought would be of interest to you. Now, if I just send you that article, would that be a positive thing? Absolutely. Certainly, right? We've heard from the Age Lab research that for me to say, hey, John, I was just thinking of you, saw something that would be of interest and decided to send that, that's certainly a positive. But John and me sending that to you, does that build any trust between us? It sure does. Sure. I right. mean, a little well, bit. I mean, you're interested in me. Right. Well, certainly. So a, a small degree of that. But how can we improve upon that? Well, I'll share a tip. So this is from Stephen M. R. Covey. I'm sure all the listeners are familiar with his father, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is the son wrote uh, several books, one I highly recommend called The Speed of Trust. Well, the tip is taking that very same example. So, John, you being a wrestler, I'm going to send you an article of interest about college wrestling. But if I add in just one small step to that, so I send you a note first to say, hey, John, I saw an article made me think of you again, a positive. I'm going to be sending that over in the next couple of days, just wanted to let you know so you keep an eye out for that. Then, within that amount of time, I send you that article, and I start that off by saying, hey, John, as promised, here is that article. Hope you enjoy this. So what I've done is take something that advisors are doing anyway, adding in just one small step but you think about what we've done there, John, is I've made a promise to you. I'm going to send you something. And then I do that. So especially with prospects where it can be a bit more challenging to start building that foundation of trust, I can use that technique over and over. Very simple way to start proving that I'm trustworthy. Does that make sense? It does, Ryan. I oftentimes say to advisors, look, if we think about the discussions that we've had with our clients, being able to, to, to call them and say, hey, Ryan, I thought of you today. I remembered the conversation we had about fill in the blanks, you know, your retirement, your caring for your parents, whatever it is. And I came across something that I thought could help. Now, listening to what you just said, Ryan, I think just adding two words, as promised right? When I deliver on that really kind of brings me to mind as a, as a person that holds to their commitments and delivers. And that's, I think, as an advisor, one of the key attributes that we would want people to think of us for. Makes sense. Uh, the next one where folks can improve upon this loyal connection. So maybe folks on the call have seen the MIT Age Lab research relative to what clients are looking for in an advisor. I think for the folks who haven't seen it, they might be surprised that even over and above empathy, we talked about the importance there, and expertise, even above those is personalization, that clients don't want you just to be an expert in investments, retirement planning. They also want that advisor to be an expert in them the client and the opportunity as they say at the age lab to excite and delight folks by showing that level of personalization but to do that people need to improve their skills as listeners so john imagine my surprise 
we did one of these communication workshops with one of the top bank advisors in the country. He admitted to his team after going through this that early on in the process of talking to a prospect that he put clients in a box. He put that prospect in his mind kind of in a box of where they might go relative to financial products, who on his team he may farm uh, that business out to. He admitted that he wanted to stop doing that, and he didn't want the new folks on his team to start doing that. So if we agreed earlier that uh, doctors get sued for malpractice when they're bad listeners, let's do a quick exercise, John, if you're open to it, that can help our advisors improve at their listening skills. John, you open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So here's what we'll do. John, you and I are going to go back and forth and uh, just have a quick conversation. As we do that, I'm going to ask that if you, when you go to speak, use the last letter of the last word that I say as the first letter of the first word that you say. And I'll do the same for you. We'll go back and forth just for a minute to have advisors understand what we're doing here. Then I'll share how that can help improve their listening skills. So John, we'll start now. Are you ready to go? Gee, I guess I am. All right. So I ended with the letter O. So just to be clear for the folks who are listening. So (laughs) I screw it up already, Ryan. (laughs) That's it happens. And that's how we improve at our listening skills. So again, for the folks paying attention here that we're going to take the last letter of the last word that as John and I go back and forth, that last letter that we use. So John, we'll start again. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. So I ended with why are you ready? John started with that. He said, yes, I am. Ends in an M. So I'll start with that. Mighty fine, John. Then let's go ahead and continue our conversation. Now we'll stop here, but folks see that back and forth. We use that last letter of that last word as the first letter of the first word we use. Now that comes from the world of improvisation. For those who think that sounds kind of silly, well, you may know that improvisation is taught at MIT, Duke, Stanford, Harvard, and medical residency programs. So here's how advisors can use this today with clients, heck, even at home, perhaps might save a relationship. So John, it's you and I were going back and forth, and I just happened to be using the last letter of the last word that you said as the first letter of the first word that I said. Would you ever figure that out? Not in a million years. Probably not, right? And what if you did? So we think about that exercise that, John, you'd go, Ryan, have you been listening to the end of everything that I say, number one, and then, of course, I have to think to use that letter in my response to you. So, John, would you really be mad to find out that I gave thought to my response before I replied to you? No, I wouldn't. And actually, you had to wait until I was done speaking before you actually shared that thought with me. Exactly right. 
So how can advisors use this? Well, I'm going to suggest that all the listeners on the call might have people in their life that they're challenged by. Maybe it's a client that talks a lot. You're tempted to cut them off. Perhaps a family member, a friend, someone who you don't listen to the end of what they say. Again, that temptation to cut them off or you and your significant other, you start getting into what may be a heated argument. If you use this exercise, what it does, it allows for that buffer. You make sure that you're listening to the end of what they say. You give some thought before you respond. All of a sudden, you're perceived by that person to be a better listener, a, a more thoughtful person in how you respond. I know, John, we've talked through this exercise before. You said sometimes it's tough not to do this. Again, is that really a problem? No. So a quick encouragement for advisors, kind of a different tool, again, from the world of improvisation. But if you get known as that better listener, more thoughtful in how you respond, certainly that's going to have your clients feel like you're taking the time to be an expert in them, increasing that opportunity to personalize things to them. That certainly will help with that loyalty. Last quick one here, John, is just to show gratitude let those clients know how much you enjoy working with them. And from that, they get the sense that you want a relationship with them, not their money. Perhaps you've heard that old joke, John, the best time to tell your spouse to, that you love them is when. Mm. You got me here. <laughs> when is it? Before someone else does. Oh, and so... Point. The point here, just letting those clients know how much you appreciate working with them, that you value them, and in doing that, less likely that they'll be open to talking to another advisor because you'll start building that loyalty again, that two-way street. Well, Ryan, how – so we covered the, the, all the letters now in real. How can advisors be sure that they're communicating effectively and are there times that it's more important to do that than others? I mean, I know we just talked about that in terms of loyalty, but um, how can we check ourselves for our communication effectiveness? Well, for one, to verify understanding. I've had advisors say that sometimes they're a little nervous about asking a client if something made sense, if the client truly understands something, they feel like they might be almost insulting that client's intelligence. And I'll give, I'm going to push my luck here with one last acronym, but there's times where it's even more important that people understand what you're saying. So anytime you're talking about something that's complex, ambiguous, rushed, or emotional, so that acronym is CARE, so C-A-R-E, complex, ambiguous, rushed or emotional and what advisors can do a very small tweak to how they check for that understanding. So I use this today. I try to catch myself when I do it. But John, when I ask you something and say, does that make sense? Really to a degree, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm saying that, John, can you make sense of what I'm saying? Are you intelligent enough 
to understand what I've said. So one suggestion how we can improve upon that is saying, John, was I clear in how I explained that? Did I explain that clearly? And so, John, then if you didn't understand what I said, if you say no, you know what, Ryan, I didn't follow that. That's not your problem. That's not your mistake. That's my problem as the person explaining that to you. To me, just a very small change in how we word it. Mr. or Mrs. Client, did I explain that clearly? That way the client is much more apt if they say, you know what, I didn't really follow it. Again, the onus is back on the advisor where it should be. Absolutely. That makes sense. So, Ryan, care again, just refresh everybody. You bet. When things are complex, ambiguous, rushed, or emotional, in any of those four instances, it's even more important to verify that understanding. Never a bad thing to do at any time, but even more so in those situations. So, Ryan, as we wrap up, uh, how can advisors begin working towards creating these real connections that we've talked about on the past few episodes? Well, certainly one way is just to be more aware of it. So if you think about it, John, you talked, I think it was in our last call, about almost keeping a scorecard. So I'd encourage advisors, very simple exercise. If you just wrote down those four words for real, so again, it's the rational, emotional, authentic, and loyal, and just put a box next to it and put in a score from one to 10. So 10 being the highest. And think about any particular client and just rate yourself. Your best guess, how connected you are with that person on those different levels. Any places where you see that there's that shortfall to go back some of the things that we talked through in this call, some of those tips where you can deeper those connections that that's one way to start. Another one, I'd say kind of overarching to all of this, that feeling for clients that you get them, that you truly are interested in and the things that they care about. To me, that's why the Age Lab research that we've been talking about now for years has resonated so well with advisors and their clients. So if advisors want to deepen those connections, and just talking, or I'll say instead of just talking about stocks, bonds, and cash, of course, it's essential to get asset allocation investments down right, do that well. But to take it to that next level, what the advisors or I'd say the uh, really experts at the Age Lab would call becoming a longevity solutions advisor, getting into those deeper topics that can allow for a deeper connection with clients, that's going to help create those connections as well. Well, Ryan, thanks very much for joining us on these past few episodes and sharing your expertise in in communication, but more importantly, communication in order to connect and build those connections. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. My pleasure. And from all of us at Hartford Funds, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again on our next episode of the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. 
This podcast is intended for use by financial professionals or in conjunction with the advice of a financial professional. It is intended to be educational in nature and should not be construed as individual investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation to buy, sell, or hold any security or to adopt any investment strategy. It does not constitute legal or tax advice or fiduciary advice pursuant to ERISA rules. The MITH Lab is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Hartford Funds.